On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we're going to be looking at some of my favorite poems to use in coaching. Poems can deliver a powerful message, a deep, heartfelt, and meaningful message to your client in some ways that are impossible any other way. So have a listen. I think you'll enjoy this. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hey there. Welcome back to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. In some episodes past, we've talked about stories, and um, in at least one of those episodes, I know I talked about poetry and, and read a few poems to you and recited one. I'm very pleased to know that I can actually do that, uh, recite a poem or two. And I have used them many times in my coaching practice. I think you'll find them useful. There's something that's um, magic about poems that's maybe even more than than stories, you know, because with a story, you get the gist of the story. You can tell it a variety of different ways every time. Poems, they're pretty much the same every time because the words that are chosen so carefully by the poet need to be put in that order and sequence to have it have that impact. So there's something very special about poems. Um, on my one of my websites, I have several, but on ericksonian.info, if you like Ericksonian hypnosis, you you want to check out ericksonian.info. It's a beautiful website filled with stories. It's filled with interviews and articles, but it also has some poems, some of whom, some of which are written by some authors we'll be hearing from today. Poems like hypnosis deal with that getting a message across in a succinct way with the right words and the right way to say them, you know, often within a story form, but not necessarily, but certainly the right word said in the right way. And so very much the same as poetry, I think. Another thing about poetry, of course, is you can get across a message that's very deep and heartfelt and with multi-layers of meaning, which again, kind of like Ericksonian hypnosis, multi-layers of communication, layers of meaning. But it's also beautiful and it's deep. And um, there's some really kind of like an incantation aspect to it, you know, like from a spiritual religious kind of background that it has to be those chosen words incanted in a certain way that gives it that power. So, yeah, it's good to have at least some quotes, not necessarily even the whole poem, but some quotes from poems can be incredibly useful. By the way, speaking of Ericksonian hypnosis, one of the ways that Erickson got messages across to people was through a Ericksonian language pattern, a very simple one, perhaps the simplest of all in some ways, called the quotes pattern. Quotes pattern is where you quote someone. It's just like John F. Kennedy once said, ask not what you're, whatever. But, you know, it's it's like you you deliver a quote and People go, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that. 
You know, it has power to it. And plus, you're not telling them that. For instance, if I told you a story about my my grandfather and something that he said to me, which would clearly be a made up story because I never met my grandfathers. I think I met one, but I was still a baby when he died. Um, anyway, so doesn't matter. <laughs> but that's so you didn't need to know. That. Sorry, but if I told you a story that said my grandma, my grandfather said to me, you know, such and such, whatever I say that he said. When I'm delivering that quote, you will hear it as, it as if, or the listener will hear it as if it's being said to them. Because, for instance, if I said, my grandfather said to me, listen, young man, you do your best. That's all anyone can ever ask for. If you do your best, that's going to be fine. You will be fine. Just always do your best. Right? So you do your best. I'm speaking to you right now whoever you are listening to this, uh, you know, right? that the word you do your best is coming from my grandfather to me, but because I'm quoting my grandfather, your, de- your defenses are down. You know, you're not waiting for me to give you advice, it's, but you're, you're eavesdropping on this advice and you go like, yeah, that applies to me too. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. So this quotes pattern is really very, very, very useful. And with poetry, it comes across even, I don't know, more powerfully in a way because you're, quoting this ancient wisdom, you know, it may not be ancient wisdom, but it sounds that way because it's a poem. Anyway, so one of the poems I'd like to read, and um, I'm going to tell this one to you again. I, it's previous episode, I've, I've already delivered this poem, but it's a lovely poem, and it is a meaningful poem. And it's one of the very few poems that I have committed to memory over the years. And um, these days, uh, I'm, I'm recording this in late uh, middle fall, 2021, getting towards Thanksgiving time here in the United States. Um, leaves have mostly fallen from the trees. It's brisk air, you know, and you walk down these country lanes or nature trails or uh, rail trails. I was on a rail trail yesterday and all the leaves there were yellow, and, you know, lining this rail trail. And I thought of this poem as I was walking on it. And it goes like this. It's by Robert Frost. And it's called A Road Less Traveled, I believe. I think that's the title. Hmm. Not sure. Something like that. Road Less Taken, Road Less Traveled. Something like that. Road Not Taken. We'll, we'll have to Google it for you. Anyway, it goes like this. It says, <laughs> how does it start? Hold on a second. Um, I just, my brain started thinking about this other Frost poem, like, whose woods these are, I think I know, but that's a different poem. So here we go. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, and then took the other, as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim, for it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I saved the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. 
Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's the poem by Robert Frost. And you probably are familiar with that term, the road less taken or the road not taken or the road less traveled. Um, there is a book, very popular book in the mid 70s. I believe it was published called The Road Less Tra- Traveled. I- I'm going to just pause one second here and I'm just going to Google all this information. So stand by. Okay, so here's the deal. The poem written by Robert Frost. Um, uh, just was looking real quick to see if it gives a date. It probably does, but I won't take the time. Um, is called The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. The book by M. Scott Peck is called The Road Less Traveled. So he is obviously referring to the poem, but, you know, only as far as the title is concerned. It's a, it's a good book, by the way, The Road Less Traveled. Um, uh, it was a big bestseller back, back in, I think, the 70s. Um, so you can check that out if you want to. It's, it's a good book. It's a great poem. All good stuff. We bring you nothing but the best. But that poem, um, A Road Less Traveled, A Road Not Taken, Robert Frost, really does show that, that, that idea of individualizing the person, that, that whatever the person's choice in life is a good one. You've taken this road less traveled or the road not taken. That means that you are on the path of your own and that path that you're on is beautiful and stick with it. It's made all the difference. I really feel this to heart in, in my life, you know, I, I did not follow the corporate path. I didn't go out and get a job and that sort of stuff. A very different sort of life that some people go like, Oh, too bad. You're still working. And it looks like retirement's not in your future. Um, it is in my future, but <laughs> not right away. <laughs> the future is still out there. Um, <laughs> so, but it's a, it's, it's meaningful. There's a, a set of books by Carlos Castaneda called um, the teachings of Don Juan and the separate reality and road to Ixalan. And in one of those books, I think it's the teachings of Don Juan. Um, Don Juan says to Carlos that uh, the real important thing in life is to follow a path with a heart. And when you find that path with a heart for yourself, that you follow it um, breathlessly, you know, follow it, on and on breathlessly, something like that. Beautifully written books, those um, Carlos Castaneda books. And speaking of beautifully written, there's another poem I'd like to share with you now. It is not um, by Robert Frost. And it is the only other poem, I will admit freely and out loud, that uh, I have committed to memory. And it's one of those poems that mentions God in it, uh, I, I'm not a firm believer in God, although I have a strong sense of spiritual connection and that sort of thing. But um, as Marion Williamson often points out when she talks about the uh, Course in Miracles, that when the Course in Miracles talks about Jesus or Christ, she's not necessarily talking about the person, but talking about the kind of spiritual feeling and energy, the energy of the Christ, the energy of God. So I, I can certainly get around that. I can put my 
my stock in that. So however you conceive of it, if you have a firm belief in God, then this is what he's talking about. This is called, um, this is called, I thank you, God, for most of this amazing day. It's by E.E. E. Cummings. And generally speaking, he did not title his poems. He just had the first line of the poem. So the f- poem goes like this. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and the blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay great happening illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. I think you might see why I like that poem so much and why it's committed itself to my memory. Um, there's so much to be grateful for. And, you know, there's so many beautiful lines in there, the leaping greenly spirits of trees, the blue true dream of sky. It's such a nice way of putting that. And um how should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, basically V-A-K-O-G, right? Everything we have, all of our five senses in the NLP said much better than if we said, how could anybody with V-K-A-O-G? That's not such poetic. But how should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the no of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable. <laughs> That's a great line. Doubt unimaginable. You have these unimaginable, but ah, amazing. Beautiful poems. And then finally, of course, now the ears of my ears awake. Now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Ah, just lovely, lovely poem. I've used that often in a trance induction with folks. And of course I, I make it so that they're not necessarily being preached to. I couch it in a way that they can hear it in a way that's nice. I hope I try to do that. Certainly whenever I read poems, especially when a person is in got their eyes closed and are trusting me as their coach. So I'd like to read to you another poem. Now, this is a much more contemporary poem. In fact, it's um, written in the past year or two, as far as I know, um, by a friend of ours named Julie Flanders, who's the lyricist for a wonderful rock band called October Project. This is from a book of poetry that Julie published called Shadow Breathing. Um, by the way, this this poem has a beautiful... Um, kind of illustrated reading of it that you can find on YouTube. It's called Doubts by Julie Flanders. Do not let them in. They eat dreams, color first, but they eat everything, including the skin. Do not let them play. They always win. Doubts get fat on what you fear to love. They are always right there beside you or sometimes hovering above. Doubts love whispering in your own voice into your secret ear. 
Doubts linger even when they pretend to go away. Even so, they are still near. Doubts will not ever be your friend. They will seduce you. They will lie to you. They will allow you to imagine and pretend whatever is untrue. Doubts live forever. Doubts never end. When a doubt offers you a gloved hand, you must say no. You must not try to understand or to explain. You must not argue. You must not blame. You must continue to be the same or better than you were. Doubts are insidious whenever they occur, wherever they occur. They stay stuck in your emotions. Doubts pretend they are an ocean and they invite you to drown. You must hold a doubt down until it stops breathing. If a doubt comes back, make it write you a letter full of its seething, broken teeth and its false attack. When you see a doubt, turn your back on it. Or if you must, come right up to it, break its trust and stare it in the face. Tell a doubt you don't believe it. You will not draw it into being. In fact, you will erase its sneering face until it is a mere smudge. Sometimes, when a doubt is strong, you will be tempted to budge in its direction, to play along, to sing its song. Don't ever play. Doubts will always betray. Instead, conduct an orchestra of belief in your head. Let every instrument sing praise until you raise the horizon and turn a doubt into a pale wraith that fades from view. Court faith. Court beauty. Court gratitude, and express your happiness in thunderous different ways. When your world goes broken and you have too much room for doubts, remember this. Tell doubts to get out, and instead, invite yourself to receive joy. Invite yourself to perceive what is possible, to what you believe, to what you hope, to what you know, and can see to be real. Doubts will steal and eat your dreams, but only if you let them. The best way to defeat them is to leave them and forget them. That's Doubts by Julie Flanders from her book, Shadow Breathing. The other poems I'm going to be reading for you today are pretty much all of them by David White, who's probably one of my favorite poems, poets. Um, Certainly, <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly not uh, totally well-versed in poetry. I like poetry. I, I don't um, read it as much as perhaps this episode is going to <laughs> imply that I do. But I love David White's poetry a great deal, and I've, I've got a collection of his books. And um, that being said, the next poem I'm going to read to you is in one of his books, but not written by David White. This is a book by another, or a poem by another David, David Wagoner from 1976. It's called Lost. Um, often people are afraid if they go into the woods, you know, that they'll be, you know, fine. They'll get lost in there. This is a poem about that, being lost in the woods. Lost. Stand still. 
The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and to be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying here. No two trees are the same to Raven. No two bushes are the same to Wren. If what a tree or bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Now, of course, as with many poems, that is, I I hear it metaphorically, you know, that the forest is symbolic of a person's life. And there's so many things they don't know where to go in life. And there's, I don't know which way to turn. And so the forest is symbolic of life. And so sometimes it's really good to kind of stop striving and to be here now, be in this present moment. So in certain cases, that poem is perfect to read for particular clients in a particular situation. As is this next one by finally David White from his book, The House of Belonging, uh, which is, by the way, that um, poem I just read to you is the sort of frontist poem in that, in this book, The House of Belonging by David White. And again, this poem, perhaps not quite so metaphorical, at least in my reading of it, my thinking about it. But um, again, boy, this is so pertinent sometimes for people. If they're in a situation, you know, where they're relying on other people and relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, you know, whatever, um, that isn't supporting them in the way that they need to want to grow as the human being that they are here on the planet. So this is a poem called Sweet Darkness. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn. Anyone or anything that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Like a lot of David White's poems, these poems really speak to the soul, to the heart. They get, they get down, you know, into the, the soft underbelly of your being, you know, they really get down in there. It's beautiful stuff. And that poem, you know, this, the sweet darkness. I'm living in a house right now out in the country that when it's dark, it's dark. (laughs) You know, you can be in the, in the, 
room and holding your hand in front of your face and you, you can't see your hand in front of your face because it's dark. And, um, you know, the moon is so bright when it's out and stars are so bright on a clear starry night. But I, I just, I love that poem because it resonates so much with that feeling of like, you know, the darkness will be your womb tonight. You're safe in that darkness. You know, you're safe in your special aloneness. You know, the word alone stands for all one. And I feel a connection with the earth, a connection with the spirit when I'm in that, you know, sacred darkness, if you will. This next poem, again, by by David White, from the same book, same book being The House of Belonging, is called The Journey. Above the mountains, the geese turn into the light again, painting their black silhouettes on an open sky. Sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens so you can see the one line already written inside you. Sometimes it takes a great sky to find that small, bright, and indescribable wedge of freedom in your own heart. Sometimes, with the bones of the black sticks left when the fire has gone out, someone has written something in the ashes of your life. You are not leaving. You are arriving. It's a nice poem with beautiful imagery and that message of, you know, while stuff can be burned and, and ashes and, you know, the, the winter skies, the, the geese flying, you're not leaving, you're arriving. This is the beginning for you. This is a new beginning and you can make with your life what you wish. And what I'm going to leave you with now one more poem from David White. Again, from the same book. I've got actually several of his books, but I'm just going to stick to this book for now. Um, this is a book that often when I read it in classes or seminars that I'm doing, I don't read the end of it. I, I, I leave it off at a certain place um, because it seems so profound, <laughs> most of it. And then it kind of ends up... Uh, these lines, but today I will uh, read it through in its entirety because who am I to judge, you know, what where David White should have ended his poems? Uh, I'm not. It's not me for to decide. But when I'm doing it in a seminar, I'm, I'm very clear that I'm wanting to get a message across to the audience, and it's not about a writing desk and, you know, writing poems. Um, so this is called What to Remember When Waking. In that first hardly noticed moment in which you wake, coming back to this life from the other, more secret, movable, and frighteningly honest world where everything began. There is a small opening into the new day, which closes the moment you begin your plans. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep. To be human is to become visible while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. To remember the other world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. You are not 
a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You were invited from another and greater night than the one from which you have just emerged. Now, looking through the slanting light of the morning window towards the mountain presence of everything that can be, what urgency calls you to your one love? What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea? In the trees beyond the house? In the life you can imagine for yourself? In the open and lovely white page on the writing desk? So that poem, like many of these other ones, really speak to me. But also one of the wonderful things about that one is, as a coach, you know, we talk about planning and we talk about organizing your day and <laughs> I talk about it a lot, actually. But what's what's great is that you can have both. One of the hallmarks of Ericksonian hypnosis, which is, of course, you know, kind of the place I pin my allegiance mostly, is um, this idea of having a both and awareness of things. Both you can have that paradoxical reality. Things can both be this and that at the same time. So you can plan and you can also just listen to that soft whispering of your soul without planning and stay within that, you know, connection to the other world as well. Yeah. So coaching is more than just getting things done. You know, coaching is more than just, you know, meeting a deadline and, and accomplishing those goals. It's about becoming fully human. I think it is, at least. Co- coaching is about that for people. It's it's getting what they want, yeah, but it's also getting what they need, helping them to get what they need and to become fully human, fully alive, and to know that you are unique in in all the world. There has never been another you. Never will be another you. And so are you here just to be the best, you know, whatever work drone you can be in the assembly line of factory? Or are you here to to be a poet and to be you in the fullest way that you can possibly be? Maybe it's both. And so when I read poetry with people, I remind them, I think I try to, it feels like I am reminding them of the kind of deeper purpose of their lives, of what they're working towards, is to connect with and nurture that, you know, humanness, that, I don't know, the soul nature of who they really are in amidst their successful accomplishing of things. Anyway, I hope that uh, resonates for you. Um, meanwhile, I know that you may be listening to this at some far other time, but uh, it is this podcast will be released in the week of Thanksgiving this, this year. So I wish you a happy Thanksgiving and to, you know, recognize what we have so much of us to be grateful for. We have so much to be grateful for. And by the way, you know, 
my wife and I often give thanks for things like indoor plumbing. You know, there there are remarkable things around us all the time. You know, living out in the country, you know, people used to have to go down to the river and get water in a bucket and bring it back up here. People, a lot of places in the world still do. You know, it's kind of amazing. It's kind of a miracle when you stop to think, well, you can just get out of your bed and walk into the bathroom and turn on a faucet or walk into the kitchen, turn on the faucet, get water. It's potable. You know, kind of amazing. You've got heat, you know, air conditioning, whatever you got. It's kind of a lot to be grateful for, isn't there? So I'm grateful for you tuning in to listen to this. And I hope to see you again soon. Well, that does it for another episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed having you here. Hey, if you want more information about Sleight of Mouth, you can find it at EssentialCoachingSkills.com, or you might even check out SleightofMouth.org. That's a nice website, too. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay curious. <laughs>